Part four of The Long Run by Edith Wharton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Part four. I wrote her a long letter that night and waited two days for a reply. On the third day, I had a brief line saying that she was going to spend Sunday with some friends who had a place near Riverdale and that she would arrange to see me while she was there. That was all it was on a saturday that i received the note and came out here the same night the next morning was rainy and i was in despair for i had counted on her asking me to take her for a drive or a long walk it was hopeless to try to say what i had to say to her in the drawing-room of a crowded country house and only eleven days were left i stayed indoors all the morning fearing to go out lest she should telephone me but no sign came and i grew more and more restless and anxious she was too free and frank for coquetry but her silence and evasiveness made me feel that for some reason she did not wish to hear what she knew i meant to say could it be that she was after all more conventional less genuine than i had thought i went again and again over the whole maddening round of conjecture but the only conclusion i could rest in was that if she loved me as i loved her she would be as determined as i was to let no obstacle come between us during the days that were left the luncheon hour came and passed and there was no word from her i had ordered my trap to be ready so that i might drive over as soon as she summoned me but the hours dragged on the early twilight came and i sat here in this very chair or measured up and down up and down the length of this very rug until there was no message and no letter it had grown quite dark and i had ordered away impatiently the servant who came in with the lamps i couldn't bear any definite sign that the day was over and i was standing there on the rug staring at the door and noticing a bad crack in its panel when i heard the sound of wheels on the gravel a word at last no doubt a line to explain i didn't seem to care much for her reasons and i stood where i was and continued to stare at the door and suddenly it opened and she came in the servant followed her with a light and then went out and closed the door her face looked pale in the lamplight but her voice was as clear as a bell well she said you see i've come i started toward her with hands outstretched you've come you've come i stammered yes it was like her to come in that way without dissimulation or explanation or excuse it was like her if she gave at all to give not furtively or in haste but openly deliberately without stenting the measure or counting the cost but her quietness and serenity disconcerted me she did not look like a woman who has yielded impetuously to an uncontrollable impulse there was something almost solemn in her face the effect of it stole over me as i looked at her suddenly subduing the huge flush of gratified longing you're here 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 i kept repeating like a child singing over a happy word you said she continued in her grave clear voice that we couldn't go on as we were ah it's divine of you i held up my arms to her she didn't draw back from them but her faint smile said 
wait and lifting her hands she took the pens from her hat and laid the hat on the table as i saw her dear head bare in the lamplight with the thick hair waving away from the parting i forgot everything but the bliss and wonder of her being here here in my house on my hearth that fourth rose from the corner of the rug is the exact spot where she was standing i drew her to the fire and made her sit down in the chair you're in and knelt down by her and hid my face on her knees she put her hand on my head and i was happy to the depths of my soul oh i forgot she exclaimed suddenly i lifted my head and our eyes met hers were smiling she reached out her hand opened the little bag she had tossed down with her hat and drew out a small object from it i left my trunk at the station here's the check can you send for it she asked her trunk she wanted me to send for her trunk oh yes i see your smile you lucky man only you see i didn't love her in that way i knew she couldn't come to my house without running a big risk of discovery and my tenderness for her my impulse to shield her was stronger even then than vanity or desire judged from the point of view of those emotions i fell terribly short of my part i hadn't any of the proper feelings such an act of romantic folly was so unlike her that it almost irritated me and i found myself desperately wondering how i could get her to reconsider her plan without well without seeming to want her to it's not the way a novel hero feels it's probably not the way a man in real life ought to have felt but it's the way i felt and she saw it she put her hands on my shoulders and looked at me with deep deep eyes then you didn't expect me to stay she asked i caught her hands and pressed them to me stammering out that i hadn't dared to dream you thought i'd come just for an hour how could i dare think more i adore you you know for what you've done but it wouldn't be known if you if you stayed on my servants everybody about here knows you i've no right to expose you to the risk she made no answer and i went on tenderly give me if you will the next few hours there's a train that will get you to town by midnight and then we'll arrange something in town where it's safer for you more easily managed it's beautiful it's heavenly of you to have come but i love you too much i must take care of you and think for you i don't suppose it ever took me so long to say so few words and though they were profoundly sincere they sounded unutterably shallow irrelevant and grotesque she made no effort to help me out but sat silent listening with her meditative smile it's my duty dearest as a man i rambled on the more i love you the more i'm bound yes but you don't understand she interrupted she rose as she spoke and i got up also and we stood and looked at each other i haven't come for a night if you want me i've come for always she said here again if i give you an honest account of my feelings i shall write myself down as the poor-spirited creature i suppose i am there wasn't i swear at the moment a grain of selfishness of personal reluctance in my feeling i worshipped every hair of her head when we were together i was happy 
when i was away from her something was gone from every good thing but i had always looked on our love for each other our possible relation to each other as such situations are looked on in what is called society i had supposed her for all her freedom and originality to be just as tacitly subservient to that view as i was ready to take what she wanted on the terms on which society concedes such taking and to pay for it by the usual restrictions concealments and hypocrisies in short i suppose that she would play the game look out for her own safety and expect me to look out for it it sounds cheap enough put that way but it's the rule we live under all of us and the amazement of finding her suddenly outside of it oblivious of it unconscious of it left me for an awful minute stammering at her like a graceless dolt perhaps it wasn't even a minute but in it she had gone the whole round my thoughts it's raining she said very low i suppose you can telephone for a trap there was no irony or resentment in her voice she walked slowly across the room and paused before the brangwen etching over there that's a good impression will you telephone please she repeated i found my voice again and with it the power of movement i followed her and dropped at her feet you can't go like this i cried she looked down on me from heights and heights i can't stay like this she answered i stood up and we faced each other like antagonists you don't know i accused her passionately in the least what you are asking me to ask of you yes i do everything she breathed and it's got to be that or nothing oh on both sides she reminded me not on both sides it's not fair that's why why you won't why i cannot may not why you'll take a knife and not a life the taunt for a woman usually so sure of her aim fell so short of the mark that its only effect was to increase my conviction of her helplessness the very intensity of my longing for her made me tremble where she was fearless i had to protect her first and think of my own attitude afterward she was too discerning not to see this too her face softened grew inexpressibly appealing and she dropped again into that chair your end leaned forward and looked up with her grave smile you think i'm beside myself raving you're not thinking of yourself i know i'm not i never was saner since i've never known you i've often thought this might happen this thing between us isn't an ordinary thing if it had been we shouldn't all these months have drifted we should have wanted to skip to the last page and then throw down the book we shouldn't have felt we could trust the future as we did we were in no hurry because we knew we shouldn't get tired and when two people feel that about each other they must live together or part i don't see what else they can do a little trip along the coast won't answer it's the high seas or else being tied up to levy wharf and i'm for the high seas my dear think of sitting here here in this room in this chair and listening to that and seeing the light on her hair and hearing the sound of her voice i don't suppose there ever was a scene just like it she was astounding 
inexhaustible through all my anguish of resistance i found a kind of fierce joy in following her it was lucidity at white heat the last sublimation of passion she might have been an angel arguing a point in the empyrean if she hadn't been so completely a woman pleading for her life her life that was the thing at stake she couldn't do with less of it than she was capable of and a woman's life is inextricably part of the man's she cares for that was why she argued she couldn't accept the usual solution couldn't enter into the only relation that society tolerates between people situated like ourselves yes she knew all the arguments on that side didn't i suppose she'd been over them and over them she knew for hadn't she often said it of others what is said of the woman who by throwing in her lot with her lovers binds him to a lifelong duty which has the irksomeness without the dignity of marriage oh she could talk on that side with the best of them only she asked me to consider the other the side of the man and woman who love each other deeply and completely enough to want their lives enlarged and not diminished by their love what in such a case she reasoned must be the inevitable effect of concealing denying disowning the central fact the motive power of one's existence she asked me to picture the course of such a love first loving first working as a fever in the blood distorting and deflecting everything making all other interests insipid all other duties irksome and then as the acknowledged claims of life regained their hold gradually dying the poor starved passion for want of the wholesome necessary food of common living and doing yet leaving life impoverished by the loss of all it might have been i'm not talking dear i see her now leaning toward me with shining eyes i'm not talking of the people who haven't enough to fill their days and to whom a little mystery a little manoeuvring gives an illusion of importance that they can't afford to miss i'm talking of you and me with all our tastes and curiosities and activities and i ask you what our love would become if we had to keep it apart from our lives like a pretty useless animal that we went to peep at and feed with sweetmeats through its cage i won't my dear fellow go into the other side of our strange duel the arguments i used were those that most men in my situation would have felt bound to use and that most women in paulina's accept instinctively without even formulating them the exceptionalness the significance of the case lay wholly in the fact that she had formulated them all and then rejected them there was one point i didn't of course touch on and that was the popular conviction which i confess i shared that when a man and a woman agree to defy the world together the man really sacrifices much more than the woman i was not even conscious of thinking of this at the time though it may have lurked somewhere in the shadow of my scruples for her but she dragged it out into the daylight and held me face to face with it remember i'm not attempting to lay down any general rule she insisted i am not theorizing about man and woman i'm talking about you and me how do i know what's best for the woman in the next house very likely she'll vote when it would have been better for her to stay at home and it's the same with the man he'll probably do the wrong thing it's generally the weak heads that commit follies when it's the strong ones that ought to 
and my point is that you and i are both strong enough to behave like fools if we want to take your own case first because in spite of the sentimentalists it's the man who stands and lose most you'll have to give up the iron works which you don't much care about because it won't be particularly agreeable for us to live in new york which you don't care much about either but you won't be sacrificing what is called a career you made up your mind long ago that your best chance of self-development and consequently of general usefulness lay in thinking rather than doing and when we first met you were already planning to sell out your business and travel and write well those ambitions are of a kind that won't be harmed by your dropping out of your social setting on the contrary such work as you want to do ought to gain by it because you'll be brought nearer to life as it is in contrast to life as a visiting list she threw back her head with a sudden laugh <laughs> and the joy of not having any more visits to make i wonder if you've ever thought of that just at first i mean for society's getting so deplorably lax that little by little it will edge up to us you'll see i don't want to idealize the situation dearest and i won't conceal from you that in time we shall be called on but all the fun we shall have in the interval and then for the first time we shall be able to dictate our own terms one of which will be that no bores need apply think of being cured of all one's chronic bores we shall feel as jolly as people do after a successful operation i don't know why this nonsense sticks in my mind when some of the graver things we said are less distinct perhaps it's because of a certain iridescent quality of feeling that made her gaiety seem like sunshine through a shower you asked me to think of myself she went on but the beauty of it, but the beauty of our being together will be that for the first time i shall dare to now i have to think of all the tedious trifles i can pack the days with because i'm afraid i'm afraid to hear the voice of the real me down below in the windowless underground hole where i keep her remember again please it's not woman it's paulina trapp i'm talking of the woman in the next house may have all sorts of reasons honest reasons for staying there there may be someone there who needs her badly for whom the light would go out if she went whereas to philip i've been simply well what new york was before he decided to travel the most important thing in life till he made up his mind to leave it and now merely the starting-place of several lines of steamers oh i didn't have to love you to know that i only had to live with him if he lost his eyeglasses he'd think it was the fault of the eyeglasses he'd really feel that the eyeglasses had been careless and he'd be convinced that no others would suit him quite as well but at the opticians he'd probably be told that he needed something a little different and after that he'd feel that the old eyeglasses had never suited him at all and that that was their fault too at one moment but i don't recall when i remember she stood up with one of her quick movements and came towards me holding out her arms oh my dear i'm pleading for my life do you suppose i shall ever want for arguments she cried after that for a bit nothing much remains with me except a sense of darkness and conflict 
the one spot of daylight in my whirling brain was the conviction that i couldn't whatever happened profit by the sudden impulse she had acted on and allowed her to take in a moment of passion a decision that was to shape her whole life i couldn't so much as lift my little finger to keep her with me then unless i were prepared to accept for her as well as for myself the full consequences of the future she had planned for us well there's the point i wasn't i felt in her poor fatuous idiot that i was that lack of objective imagination which had always seemed to me to account at least in part for many of the so-called heroic qualities in women where their feelings are involved they simply can't look ahead her unfaltering logic notwithstanding i felt this about paulina as i listened she had a specious air of knowing where she was going but she didn't she seemed the genius of logic and understanding but the demon of illusion spoke through her lips i said just now that i hadn't at the outset given my own side of the case a thought it would have been truer to say that i hadn't given it a separate thought but i couldn't think of her without seeing myself as a factor the chief factor in her problem and without recognizing that whatever the experiment made of me that it must fatally in the end make of her if i couldn't carry the thing through she must break down with me we should have to throw our separate selves into the melting-pot of this mad adventure and be one in a terrible indissoluble completeness of which marriage is only an imperfect counterpart there could be no better proof of her extraordinary power over me and of the way she had managed to clear the air of sentimental illusion than the fact that i presently found myself putting this before her with a merciless precision of touch if we love each other enough to do a thing like this we must love each other enough to see just what it is we're going to do so i invited her to the dissecting table and i see now the fearless eye with which she approached the cadaver for that's what it is you know she flashed out at me at the end of my long demonstration it's a dead body like all the instances and examples and hypothetical cases that ever were what do you expect to learn from that the first great anatomist was the man who stuck his knife in a heart that was beating and the only way to find out what doing a thing will be like is to do it she looked away from me suddenly as if she were fixing her eyes on some vision on the outer rim of consciousness no there's one other way she exclaimed and that is not to do it to abstain and refrain and then see what we become or what we don't become in the long run and to draw our inferences that's the game that almost everybody about us is playing i suppose there's hardly one of the dull people one meets at dinner who hasn't had just once the chance of a berth on a ship that was off for the happy isles and hasn't refused it for fear of sticking on a sandbank i'm doing my best you know she continued to see the sequel as you see it as you believe it's your duty to me to see it i know the instances you're thinking of the listless couples wearing out their lives in shabby watering places and hanging on the favour of hotel acquaintances or the proud quarrelling wretches shut up alone in a fine house because they're too good for the only society they can get 
and trying to cheat their boredom by squabbling with their tradesmen and spying on their servants no doubt there are such cases but i don't recognize either of us in those dismal figures why to do it would be to admit that our life yours and mine is in the people about us and not in ourselves that we're parasites and not self-sustaining creatures and that the lives we're leading now are so brilliant full and satisfying that what we should have to give up would surpass even the blessedness of being together at that stage i confess the solid ground of my resistance began to give way under me it was not that my convictions were shaken but that she had swept me into a world whose laws were different where one could reach out in directions that the slave of gravity hasn't pictured but at the same time my opposition hardened from reason into instinct i knew it was her voice and not her logic that was unsettling me i knew that if she'd written out her thesis and sent it me by post i should have made short work of it and again the part of me which i called by all the finest names my chivalry my unselfishness my superior masculine experience cried out with one voice you can't let a woman use her graces to her own undoing you can't for her own sake let her eyes convince you when her reasons don't and then abruptly and for the first time a doubt entered me a doubt of her perfect moral honesty i don't know how else to describe my feeling that she wasn't playing fair that in coming to my house in throwing herself at my head i called things by their names she had perhaps not so much obeyed an irresistible impulse as deeply deliberately reckoned on the dissolvent effect of her generosity her rashness and her beauty from the moment that this mean doubt raised its head in me i was once more the creature of all the conventional scruples i was repeating before the looking-glass of my self-consciousness all the stereotyped gestures of the man of honour oh the sorry figure i must have cut you'll understand my dropping the curtain on it as quickly as i can yet i remember as i made my point being struck by its impressiveness i was suffering and enjoying my own suffering i told her that whatever step we decided to take i owed it to her to insist on its being taken soberly deliberately no it's advisedly isn't it oh i was thinking of the marriage service she interposed with a faint laugh that if i accepted there on the spot her headlong beautiful gift of herself i should feel i had taken an unfair advantage of her an advantage which she would be justified in reproaching me with afterward that i was not afraid to tell her this because she was intelligent enough to know that my scruples were the surest proof of the quality of my love that i refused to owe my happiness to an unconsidered impulse that we must see each other again in her own house in less agitating circumstances when she had had time to reflect on my words to study her heart and look into the future the factitious exhilaration produced by uttering these beautiful sentiments did not last very long as you may imagine it fell little by little under her quiet gaze a gaze in which there was neither contempt nor irony nor wounded pride but only a tender wistfulness of interrogation and i think the acutest point in my suffering was reached when she said as i ended 
oh yes of course i understand if only you hadn't come to me here i blurted out in the torture of my soul she was on the threshold when i said it and she turned and laid her hand gently on mine there was no other way she said and at the moment it seemed to me like some hackneyed phrase in a novel that she had used without any sense of its meaning i don't remember what i answered or what more we either of us said at the end a desperate longing to take her in my arms and keep her with me swept aside everything else and i went up to her pleading stammering urging i don't know what but she held me back with a quiet look and went i had ordered the carriage as she had asked me to and my last definite recollection is of watching her drive off in the rain i had her promise that she would see me two days later at her house in town and that we should then have what i called a decisive talk but i don't think that even at the moment i was the dupe of my phrase i knew and she knew that the end had come end of part four 